that we've been living in stark contrast to the one you've called us to. Move in this place today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Just arranging. Give me just a moment, please. The Lord is very good to us, very patient with us. <laughs> I know people say this, and it and it will come across as false humility, but. I, I truly do believe that I have no business um, sharing with you God's word. I know there's a calling and I know there's a surrender and all this kind of stuff. But really, is the it seems as though you probably would agree with this if you've been walking with the Lord for a while. It seems like the further you go down the road of living for the Lord, the more you realize how much you depend on his grace. And it's one of those weird things because you expect as you grow, you're going to feel holier. And the result is your, the light shines brighter on your sin, right? Because, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. The expectation to live more holy is greater. And so um, I, I truly do recognize um, to the extent that it's been given to me. I'm sure there's a lot more to see. But the extent that it's been given to me that, um, you know, the Lord is, is gracious to allow me to do this, allow us to minister together and to do the things that we're led to do. So... To him, really, truly, and honestly, be all the praise, the honor, and the glory. Um, I was thinking about specific versus general instruction this week in trying to get us back into the passage that we covered last week in John chapter 10. Um, general information is, is really the kind of um, bigger picture discussion that those that are uh, a little bit further along, either in years or experience or wisdom, they can get by with more generalized information. You don't need everything broken down for you point by point in most areas. There might be something new that you're tackling that all of a sudden you feel like, okay, I, I really need some specifics. I need to go back to the instruction book. Every man in the room was like, the instruction what? You know, the instruction book, it has one, two, three. I love how they've caught up to the, uh, to the, to the man mindset. This isn't a knock on our intellect. It's just that we just like to try to figure it out before having to admit we needed the instructions. But I love how now they're pretty much reducing everything to big pictures. A, B, C, D. In four easy steps, you can assemble this whole thing. So, um, that's general information. That's broader categories. The younger we are or the less experienced we are, it isn't always about age in these situations, but the less experienced we are, the more we rely on very specific instructions or maybe more accurately to say the more we need specific instructions, whether we rely on them or not. So, you know, I'm a parent. I've uh, raised, well, I haven't, I guess I haven't finished. Does any parent in the room ever finish raising their kids? I know they tell us we're supposed to, but... Um, I'm getting to that age where I'm starting to sympathize with those of you like empty nesters. You're like, it's hard to let go, you know? So I'm starting to figure that out a little bit. Um, but raised a few children and, in, and I'm raising a few more. And um, uh, little chuckles there. 
All right. Nine to be exact. Okay. Those of you that are new. So one of my biggest pet peeves, though, in in parenting or in 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 watching parenting and stuff and not that we've we're never guilty of this, but um, is when parents try too hard to speak to their little children with generalized information kind of appealing to, and I think about this, if we said the older or more experienced people need less step-by-step detail, I see a lot of parents trying to raise really young children appealing to their maturity or their wisdom or experience in ways that sounds more like discussion and, and philosophy. And this is why we don't do this. And they go into all these explanations and I'm thinking, no wonder why so many parents say, I just don't think I can do this again. I mean, they just use so many words on a two-year-old that it's like, yes, no. It's what they should have heard at the moment. Yes, no. You know, don't do this. This is what we do. You're not doing this, blah, blah, blah. That's not the, the totality of our instruction with our toddlers. Don't get me wrong. There's other times to have more conversation. But when it's a matter of steering them in a direction, parents are to be putting guardrails on their children. And at a young age, those guardrails just have to be there. The child doesn't have to understand why it hurts every time they rub into the guardrail. A child doesn't need to understand all the dangers that are over the the cliff if they don't run into the guard. What they need to know is that those guardrails are in place. Mom or dad or both know where they're supposed to be and that they hear and recognize the voice of that very specific instruction. And and parenting so often is judged based on what works, what technique works, what technique doesn't. Now, I'm I'm not for banging my head in the wall and, and, and doing things that are futile, but in all honesty, if we're supposed to do what's right, it may not necessarily look like it's working immediately. Eventually, as they need less detailed instruction, they start to pick up the philosophical pieces or the filling in of the blanks and go, oh, that's why I had those guardrails there. And, and what a lot of parents are experiencing that have started off with very specific instruction, what we might refer to as more strict instruction early on, is that the hands come off the wheel a little bit earlier in life so that those disciplinary things start to transform into conversations, bigger picture things, generalized information. So does that make sense? If you, re, if you neglect the specific instruction early on, by the time they're older, it's almost like you got to reverse that and repeat that in your babysitting 20-something-year-olds. And that's what we're seeing happening in our society so much. It's tough to lock in and be very specific in your instruction early on. It's it's It's... Uh, it's it's uh, it wears you out. It causes you to not think of your next sentence as you just trip over your tongue. But it, it's the kind of thing where it takes a lot of work and a lot of discipline. But instead, what you end up finding is a lot of reward on the other end where you're not necessarily biting your nails, at least outwardly, not that they can see, wondering how they're going to turn out. Now, I don't mean to, to claim that I'm an expert on these sorts of things. It, my, my field of uh, experience has not been fully tested yet. But I do think that in principle, those are biblical principles. In fact, this is how we find the Bible was was broken down is because in the Old Testament, you find so much specific instruction. You see all the details laid out for the children of Israel to the to the nth degree of everything that they were required to do. God said, my people are going to act this way. They're going to look this way. They're going to eat these things and not these things. Why? Does all of it make sense? Probably all of it does, and even in ways that we don't understand. But ultimately, what God was saying is you will be different. You will be set apart. We like to use the word holy. 
you will be holy from my purposes. You're not going to be like the others. So God had to go into great detail with the children of Israel, walking them off like toddlers. If they reached for the light socket, it was whacked to the fingers. It wasn't. Now, listen, we get an electrical current that comes through there, and it's probably going to make your hair stand on it. And it's probably not really safe for you to, in all this explanation, God didn't bother with that. In fact, one of the examples that we know from the Old Testament is when, when the, the people are carrying the ark and it starts to tumble and, and, and fall and one of them reaches over and grabs it. God didn't say, now, now listen, I, the reason why I told you don't touch the ark is this. He struck him dead. He, he did the, you know, for that guy it was a lot more than a slap on the wrist. But figuratively speaking, with very specific instruction, it was yes and no, do and don't. So now we come into John chapter 10 and Jesus is talking about um, some, some analogy or some word picture that the people of his day can understand because the people, the listeners, the Jewish folks of his day are used to the do, don't, yes, no kind of culture. Jesus is coming in and speaking a little bit more generally. And we even know from the scriptures, a lot of it's going over their head. A lot of people, even the, the disciples who walk and, and live with Jesus are going, could you explain that to us again? Because we missed that. So in John chapter 10, let's just read our 10 verses that we started off with last week and try to put this together in terms of specific and general information. Uh, The Bible says, chapter 10, verse 1, Truly I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens... And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but here they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus says to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, in contrast, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is laying out two very clear qualifiers here. They're saying, we're not really sure we get this whole thing. Why were you talking about shepherds? Why were you talking about doors? He goes, well, because I am both. And Jesus is laying out two very specific qualifiers. And these qualifiers, they encourage me and they freak me out all at the same time. They're great because they identify who the real sheep are. But at the same time, when he lays them out, the bar is set so high that I start looking in the mirror and gulping, going, I don't know if I'm always who he's describing here in this passage. He says, first off, if you're truly my sheep, you know my voice. You recognize my voice. That is in great challenge today, isn't it? And don't just think in terms of the, the, the wackos that have come along and said, oh, I'm Jesus, and they start you know, developing these communes and these compounds and everybody you know, runs into trouble down the end and the government has to step in. No, even, even not so extreme as that. We have all these voices competing to be on equal authority, if not greater authority, than the Son of God. 
And we have to discern, we have to separate those things so that we hear the voice of the great shepherd. And that becomes a challenge. If you're like me, you're sitting there going, do I always recognize that voice? Sometimes my ear isn't quite as sharp. So if he's saying this first qualifier is they'll know my voice, then our next natural question would be, so how do I know? How do I recognize this voice? And fortunately for us, it starts off by something that is, that is kind of out of our control. And that is that the spirit reveals the voice of the great shepherd to us. I'm going to be reading from several passages of scripture this morning. It might actually take a lot of our time. And so I just thought that as we're talking about the word of God and hearing the voice of God, it might be appropriate to hear what he's written. John 14 In a few key verses here, it says, I'll ask the father. This is a little bit later after the shepherding talk. Jesus is saying, I'll ask the father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Does that sound familiar? You will know him. You'll recognize him. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he, this is the responsibility put on the Spirit, he will teach you all things, it says here in verse 26, and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So Jesus is actually saying, it says it a little clearer in another passage where he says, it's far better for you if I'm removed, because once I am gone, then the Holy Spirit, the other person of the triune Godhead, will come to you and he can be present everywhere at all times. He will be in you and he will reveal to you the voice of the shepherd. That's how you'll start recognizing my call from up on the hill. As you hear me calling and you're saying, okay, I hear something, I recognize it. That's when you trust. That must be the spirit of God drawing me to the voice of the shepherd. So he's saying that uh, the, the resource that you have that is planted within you is the spirit. Later on, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, For to us, God revealed them through the spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? In other words, who knows you better than your own thoughts and your own self? You know, if, you, if, if, if you're able to put up a charade and you're able to be seen by others outside as a certain person, but inside you know you're not that person, that's what he's talking about. So that happens on a human level. He says, even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now, he's saying, he's talking to the sheep that have made it into the fold. He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man or the goat, if you will, outside of the sheep pen, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or they are spiritually understood. They are spiritually received. So to go back to our analogy of the shepherd and the sheep and being in the fold, what ends up happening, because Jesus is not only the shepherd, but he's the door. Remember we heard that the, one of the activities and the responsibility of the shepherd is to lay across the door to protect that entrance and even to protect it as an exit so that the sheep can't wander off. Jesus, because he is both the great shepherd and the door, he is, allow, he is able to, with his authority, to allow entrance into 
the sheepfold. Now, to stay in this analogy, what ends up happening is you and I come to the gate. This is, this is where a transformation takes place. As you and I come to the gate because we've been watching from a distance. We've been seeing the activity of the sheep. There's something strange drawing us there. We don't really know what it is because at first it looked like restriction. It looked like duty. It looked boring. It looked like all of these things. But all of a sudden I'm starting to crave. Hey, look, they're looked after. They're provided for. Look how their shepherd loves them. And I'm drawn to the entrance of the gate. And the shepherd says, why should I let you in? Now, the biblical response, what Jesus wants to hear from every uh, approacher of the gate is, you shouldn't let me in. I don't deserve to be in there. I mean, you just take a look at my wool. I am, I am natty. I am, I'm, I'm wounded. I've got sores over here. I'm hobbling on a broken hoof. I, I am a wreck. I would not represent your sheepfold anywhere near what you require. All I know is I'm drawn to it. If you would, in your favor and in your grace, allow me to take entrance, I'll trust you to take care of me and clean me up and heal me. All that stuff, whatever you need to do in order for me to represent the sheepfold the way it's supposed to be, all I'm asking is that you would please show me your grace and favor and allow me into that stone fortress for your protection and guidance. I will follow your voice. You say in the morning, follow me over this hill. I'm there. You see, that's the miracle of conversion. That's what happens. That's when, when a sheep truly becomes one with the shepherd. And the, and the Savior is saying, the great shepherd is saying, when you pass through that door, he gives us a spirit of God within us that instantly allows us to start recognizing his voice. It's almost like as he's talking to us, it's a little bit jumbled, almost like um, Charlie Brown's teaching, you know, wah, 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 wah. and all of a sudden as we come through the entrance, now it's clear. You can hear sort of other shepherds talking, but all you hear is wah, 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 wah. Now all you hear is his voice ringing true. This is the spirit of God within every believer. This is not something that you've conjured up. This isn't something that you went to church a number of times to earn. You didn't pay the, uh, the ministry enough money to all of a sudden now you can hear the voice of God. As you pass through that entrance, the shepherd says, now you'll recognize my voice. And it becomes clearer. So the Spirit confirms, the Spirit reveals, I should say, the voice of the shepherd, but also the Word confirms it. So we have two great resources that we're talking about here, the Spirit of God and the Word of God. I'm going to go to, uh, back to the beginning of this letter of John chapter 1 just to hear some very foundational teaching of who Jesus is. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, not just some words, but the Word, capital W, who is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If we jump ahead to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh, this is the incarnation of Christ, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul backs this up in 2 Timothy 3. He says, All Scripture, which comes from the Word, capital W, all scripture is inspired by God, which means God breathed it into existence and, the, and, and uh, inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for setting us straight, for training us in ways that we haven't been before, all in righteousness, which is cleanliness, which is purity. Remember, we walked in as hobbling, nasty, mangy sheep. 
And the Spirit of God moving through His Word is able to clean us up, direct us, teach us the ways of the sheepfold, and allows us to recognize the voice of the shepherd uh, much greater and to a much stronger extent. So we continue in Hebrews chapter 4. If we're not convinced already, the Bible says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. Now, none of us can see the division of soul and spirit. You hear the, the, the um, exaggeration that's going on here, that the word of God is so sharp that it can cut and slice in things that we can't even see. That's how precise it is. Of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. This is the strength of the word of God. This is how God has revealed himself. The spirit confirms the words of God. So the voices that we hear, remember we said we're peculiar sheep, we hear voices. But sometimes we'll hear other voices and the ones that cannot be confirmed in the word of God are voices that start to, to, we start to learn how to block out and they start to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher to us after a while. The voices we hear are confirmed in the truth. Why? Because it contains the spirit of God which is able to examine to such fine, minute detail beyond our human understanding. The, uh, the Evangelical Free Church of America, it's the association of churches that our church belongs to, and we're going we're be meaning to think about uh, sending them a letter and thanking them for the extremely ridiculously long name that they've given us, um, that whenever people call us from, like if our security system goes off here and people call me in the middle of the night and I'm feeling really patient, you know, and just gracious and pastoral and everything. And they're going, uh, yeah, I'm calling about the alarm trip for faith, evangelical, and I'm like, evangelical, just get it out. Come on. It's 4.30 in the morning. Let's get this going here. I don't do that. Just kidding. I want to do that, but I don't do that. The Evangelical Free Church of America, focus, get me back off my rabbit trail, um, has a series, 10 statements, if you will, that align the doctrinal beliefs, that is our rigorous study and our adherence to the truth of God's word in these 10 key areas. And the Evangelical Free Church of America has had these 10 key areas in existence for a long time. Uh, many years ago, it was like 12 areas. And as time has gone on, they've started to realize that communication has changed. And so a couple of those key areas have morphed into other ones. But I'm telling you, they deliberated uh, rigorously over how to handle some of these changes. And a lot of the changes that were suggested didn't come through. I share that with you if you're new to this whole thing called church. If you're trying to figure out what an evangelical free church is, um, that's one aspect. We belong to an association of churches, and we all come under the umbrella of these key doctrinal um, issues. We're not a part of this organization because we can afford to be or because we give money to the... It's because we agree on what the Bible says about itself. And because we agree to that extent, we're all a part of the same... Evangelical Free Church of America. Now, their statement on the Word of God or the Bible is this. I'm going to put it up here. Hopefully you can read it just so you understand. It says, We believe that God has spoken in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired Word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, 
the complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it's to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, entrusted in all that it promises. We, too, believe this about the scriptures, about the book that has been given to us. In its original language, we believe that God moved in the hands of men. Remember, he said, as my spirit comes, he will remind you of all the things that have been spoken. Even though this could have been 20 years later in some instances after Jesus left, they still wrote these things down because we believe in the supernatural. We believe that the spirit of God superintended the writings of the scriptures So yes, a human hand with human flesh and bone took a legitimate physical pen, dipped it in ink, and wrote the words. So whenever you hear, well, man wrote the Bible, they're right. But man inspired by the Spirit of God wrote down what God wanted written. And we believe that. Uh, It is proven in uh, the standards, and I can't get into all of it now, nor would I have the mental recall to get into it all, but it, it is proven by the way that the Bible, tell me if you've heard this before, the way that the Bible interprets the Bible. It is proven in its consistency from cover to cover. It doesn't contradict itself. Someone could have wrote something a thousand years before the other writer and that sort of thing, and it still meshes. It still works together. Even in the short span of Jesus' ministry here on earth, three and a half years as he's publicly ministering, the other four men that wrote a gospel record or an eyewitness account do not disagree with each other on the details. Every little nuance is, you know, somebody says, well, this part's missing or this part's missing. Or in the Old Testament, you might have a battle where 40,000 people died and then the same battles recorded somewhere else and 60,000 people died. All of these things have very rational, legitimate arguments. The Bible has been held to a stricter standard than any other piece of literature, and yet it still stands. This is the word that we trust. So how are we going to recognize the voice of the shepherd? His voice comes from the pages of this book. We simply have to know it. We simply have to familiarize ourselves with it. We simply have to saturate our hearts and our minds with the teaching of God's word so that his voice rings clearer and clearer with every step that we take. But remember I said Jesus laid out two qualifiers. He said, first, they hear my voice. But secondly, the other steep requirement, though it's very simply laid out, the steep requirement is they follow. One of the passages of Scripture that we love to use here at Faith, especially in our counseling environments and stuff, because we believe it's so foundational to where most people are coming in saying, my life is broken, I don't know how to get it back on track. There's a, there's a passage of Scripture that we love to teach in those early stages of the counseling process, and I, and I hope that you pay attention to this. Um, I've mentioned it in other sermons before, um, so it'll be a bit of a repeat to some, but anyway, it's worth repeating. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus is wrapping up the famous Sermon on the Mount. And in this, he is explaining to a culture that is used to hearing the yeses and nos and the do's and don'ts. They want very specific, detailed instruction. Instead, Jesus comes and lays out the entire kingdom, the generalized room to move, living in an economy of grace, actions of the kingdom of God. And he says this, he says, therefore, he's wrapping it up. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, May be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now, typically, as I use this passage, I love to follow up with a brief exercise that says, what are the similarities of the two men in this parable? And if you look at it closely, you start to see that the similarities were they both experienced bad weather. They both built a house. They had to build somewhere. They had to pick a foundation. They had a lot of similarities there, but perhaps the most, the most intriguing uh, similarity is that they both were in the audience and heard the word of God. See, we would think that the person whose house got, gets washed away and the storms took advantage of and all this kind of stuff was the person who was going like this to the Lord. Nah, nah, I don't hear you. I'm not even going to go to church. I don't even open the Bible. I don't even know what he says. But it says uh, that the man, blessed is the man who hears and does with what he hears instead of the man who hears and ignores. So it is not enough for you and I to be in this room this morning. It is not enough for you and I to have what, what Christians refer to as a devotional lifestyle where we open the word of God and just read it or download its contents or get through from cover to cover in a year or anything. It's not enough to rest on that. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, they know it, and they follow me. The difference in Matthew seven twenty four through 27 is what the sheep did or didn't do. That's the qualifying distinguishing factor. Everyone talks with intentions. We all hear it. It's part of our culture. I really should be doing this. If I was a better person, I'd be up about this. I'd be, we always talk with intention. We always look down the road, maybe tomorrow, that kind of thing. What separates uh, God's sheep that hear his voice is the integrity of their building. The foundation they've built on, is it the word of God? Do they hear the shepherd? And will it withstand within the storm because they took action and built where Jesus said? To stick with our sheep analogy, is it enough to just hear the voice shouting to us over the hill or do we start making our way out of the pen and start following up the hill? You see, human wisdom says, I don't really know the voice yet, so I'm going to wait and see if about 40 other sheep start walking first, and I'm going to lag behind. I'm new to this, and uh, I'll wait for them to shout from the hilltop, he's right, water's over here, there's plenty of grass, keep coming. That's what I'll wait for. I need other people to convince me that I can follow this voice. Maturity, someone who's able to live in more general instruction, who's been walking with the Lord, Here's the voice of the Lord, and it sort of turns into, why is my body turning around? Why am I starting to walk up this hill? And you don't even think about it after a while, because the voice of the shepherd is one you know. He's led you to water before. He's led you to grass. He's kept you from wolves in the woods. He's, he's done all that he said he would do. And so after a while, you start just following, and you're drawn to him like a magnet. That comes with time. That comes with, with an intentional lifestyle that says, I want to know his voice. I want to put him uh, to the test. I want to exercise in faith instead of waiting for facts. Human wisdom says, don't follow until you know. Faith says, follow, and then you will know. So let me just wrap this up real quickly with just some practical thoughts on knowing our Bible. There is no prescribed amount of Bible that you need to read. 
If you're new to the faith or you might be new to getting acquainted with the scriptures and everything, you'll hear us say certain things. We'll say we, we encourage you to read through the Bible cover to cover throughout the year. There's a reason for that, and that is mostly so that you see how God works in the totality of, of his history and so that you start to recognize the, things, the kind of things God would do and the kind of things he wouldn't do. You start to recognize how he's conducted um, his uh, kingdom throughout the centuries and the epics and things, so that when you hear another voice that sounds like it's trying to put a different spin on God, you almost immediately go, it doesn't sound like the God I read about. So reading through the Bible cover to cover is a great way to do that. It's a great way to familiarize yourself with the the whole sweep of how God works. But then there's also time for personal application to where you say, maybe just today I need a thought. Maybe just today I need a passage of Scripture or a verse of Scripture. Or maybe in this moment I'm about ready to solve this problem or spend this money or to do these kinds of things. Maybe I just need more guided wisdom in the Scriptures. I don't have time to look through all of Exodus to find out what I'm supposed to do. So there is no biblical or spiritual amount of Bible you're supposed to read. It's a great blessing that we have the entire Bible, all 66 books, but if you were stranded on a deserted island and you had one or two pages of Scripture, do you think that would be enough to sustain your your understanding of who God is? I think it would be, because the Spirit of God is in that, the life of God is in His words, and you would be drawn to deeper applications. You would be able to, to apply it in different ways. And so if, if that is enough to sustain us, then God's not going to crack the whip on us because we didn't get through the Bible cover to cover in a year. We do that because we're trying to build that discipline. We're trying to recognize his voice. But maybe we need more specific instruction as well. If you don't know exactly where to go because you're new to the Bible, some of your friends or we can advise you in some great places to start. The book of John that we've been studying is one of the more common places to get someone started with their understanding of who Jesus is and to get reading the Bible. We also have some other weird titled uh, books out there like Philippians and all these kinds of things that are great starters for the scriptures. The Sermon on the Mount that we talked about, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Psalms, and particularly Psalms 1, talks a lot about who we spend our time with, how we get our guidance and our wisdom. So there's lots of places that you can go, but you have to reach out. You have to start digging. We have Right Now Media is a great resource. It's like the Netflix, they say, is the Christian of Christian video and biblical content. I'm hearing groups all over the place are calling us saying, I need my password again because we're getting ready to do this study of Francis Chan thing in our small group and all this stuff. It's free to you, but I just need to know your email address ahead of time. So if you want to scour thousands of uh, titles to get a better understanding of elements of the scripture and biblical content, um, that's a great way to do it. So we've got our cards out in the racks, out in the entryway. If you need to get my email address, just go see the folks at the welcome table. They'll point you in the direction of the Right Now Media cards, and then you know how to contact me. Um, if you are reading a Bible, this is something that Pastor Bill is famous for saying. Uh, when, when people ask him, which Bible should I be reading? I've noticed that when you read one from up on the stage, it might sound a little different than the one I'm trying to follow along with. Which one should I be reading? And Pastor Bill, in, in, in pretty general terms, is saying the best Bible that you should use is the one that you'll read, which I think is pretty important. So if you are finding a biblical uh, uh, layout that, that engages you and you can follow, that's the one you should read. Now, more specifically, he would say there are some pretty bad English translations out there that have gotten far away from the original content of the Word of God. We know which some of those Bibles are that are easier to read, that are a little truer to the, a lot more truer to the original text. If you have the most common ones, probably the New International Version, what we call the NIV. 
New Living Translation is a good one. These are paraphrases that are easier to read. If you want to do a deeper study, we prefer that you find something a little closer to the original languages. We use the New American Standard uh, Bible. Uh, the English Standard uh, Version is one that's getting very popular and getting a lot of great reviews from, from good Bible teachers. So that guidance is out there. Find the Bible that you will read and get your nose in it. The voice of the shepherd will start getting clearer and clearer to you. Ultimately, what we're after is to develop an intimacy with God. So that a shepherd on the hill and he's yelling with his voice, you know, come follow me. I have, I have rest for your souls. I have nourishment for your body. We just hear that voice and it's refreshing to us and it's, it's encouraging, exciting because he's looking out for us and we follow. We start that climb up the hill. That's what we mean when we say we are peculiar sheep and that's the voice that we hear. Get fine-tuned with that voice by knowing his word. Would you please join, uh, stand up? We're going to um, ask Ron. Ron's going to be, he's so technically savvy. Our elder, Ron Dunbar, who is the grandmaster flash of the soundboard in the back, uh, is going to pray from back there. How's that for a setup? Is this thing on? I think so. Father God, I would thank you for today. Uh, we'd ask that you would help us be the church this week, and uh, especially want to lift up uh, the Mullen family and the Coochie family and the Norton family. Father, those who have lost uh, loved ones recently, we'd ask that you would minister to them by the power of the Spirit this week and uh, for the days to come. In Jesus' name.